There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. I'm just saying if this is about the church and if this is about God, you are the same people that will slap them loaves of breads out of Jesus' hand, slap out the fish out of Jesus' hand. This is absolutely an offense to women. This is an offense to everybody. And it is offensive that you're going to go celebrate the oppression of women at a church. Alicia Hilton of Des Moines calling out Iowa Republicans today as the Iowa legislature returns for a special session to implement extreme new restrictions on abortion. Meanwhile, in terms of former football coach will understand, Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on military promotions is weakening the defensive line of his own team, the United States of America, to score points with his extremist fans on abortion. Also tonight, Oversight Chair James Comer talks a lot about getting laughed at on MSNBC. After Comer's latest whistleblower embarrassment, the laughs are going to keep on coming. And you may know Hill Harper from CSI New York or from his many other performances. Now he wants to play a role in America's future as a United States senator. And he joins me tonight. But we begin tonight with the Republican Party forcing a draconian and possibly deadly vision on America. More restrictions on abortion, despite voters across this country saying, no, we don't want this and fighting to protect their access to abortion care. Here's some of those Americans today protesting a special session of the Iowa legislature where Republican lawmakers are racing to pass a near total ban on abortion. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds called state lawmakers back for the rare special session for the sole purpose of enacting these new restrictions. Right now, lawmakers are debating a proposed six-week abortion ban. They've been doing this all day, and it means abortion laws in the state are poised to change quickly and dramatically. Iowans are not going down without a fight, however. This is what pro-choice Des Moines resident Felicia Hilton had to say when she testified against this severe restriction. I'm here as a woman. I'm not representing anybody but myself, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my four granddaughters, and we all relocated to this state. And I am mortified that we picked to move to Iowa right now. Is that what you're telling me in the state of Iowa? That you get to choose who this is? Yeah, you, the people that think this is a great idea. Who gets to choose this? Who does this? Ma'am, Church is been, not there. It's no, been over three minutes. It doesn't matter. This is a yes. lie. You guys are lying to yourselves and you're I offending am, everyone, including God. I am happy to God. let you have your say, but, yeah, you're, you're but your say God. was three minutes. I do not care. This state is ridiculous. This stupid, stupid, ridiculous, self-righteous crap. Okay, okay, okay. Was that not the feminist clapback America needs right now? Words that represent most of the state? as well as America. Remember, this is a state where 61% of adults say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. That is six in 10 Iowans. The number goes up for Iowa women with 70% favoring legal abortion. 
But polls, opinions, top priorities for voters, none of that seems to matter to the modern-day Republican Party, which is weird, right? Because you have to be able to read the room to win elections. It's not exactly rocket science. The writing is very clearly on the wall. Americans want their freedoms and their privacy, even in red states. And yet, the forced birth faction is singularly obsessed with controlling, owning, and even criminalizing women, an obsession that is now putting America's military readiness at risk. Enter the U.S. Marine Corps. For the first time in more than 150 years, it is operating without a Senate-confirmed commandant. This was the relinquishment of office ceremony on Monday for the most recent commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps. The position was vacated when General David H. Berger stepped down from the post, which is limited to four years. But there is no new Senate-approved commandant to take his place. And that is because Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, the state with the third highest maternal death rate in the country, and where abortion is completely banned with very limited exceptions, he is refusing to confirm promotions to top military posts until the Pentagon agrees to end its policy of offering leave and travel funds for reproductive health care, including abortion. Which brings us to the Republic of Gilead portion of our program, where the Marine Corps has no leader because a real-life MAGA senator is mad about women's rights. The move is so reckless, so dangerous, that VoteVets is releasing an ad tomorrow on Tuberville undermining the U.S. military's readiness against our enemies. Here is part of it. For months, one lone senator, Tommy Tuberville, who never served in uniform himself, has held hostage hundreds of military assignments just to force his mega social agenda on women in the ranks. Our enemies are watching, looking for any vulnerabilities to exploit. And mega senator Tommy Tuberville is playing right into their hands. Now, remember all those Republican promises to prioritize our national defense, to support our troops? Perhaps that went by the wayside when Senate Republicans, including you, Tommy Tuberville, voted against health care access for combat veterans suffering from toxic burn pit exposure. Or when the party backed a leader who said Americans who died in war are suckers and losers. So Tuberville's stunt should surprise no one, but still should shock us all. Because once again, conservatives are putting our national security at risk, where the ultimate endgame is a national abortion ban, despite their claim to leave it to the states. They are trying to be sneaky about it, except not so sneaky, because the Republican march toward Gilead is nothing but consistent and cruel under his eye. Joining me now is John Soltz, Iraq War, Iraq War veteran and chairman and co-founder of Vote Vets, and Iowa-based journalist Liz Lenz, author of Belabored, in, uh, Belabored, A Vindication of the Rights of Pregnant Women, a uh, very suiting, suited, uh, suitable title for today. And, and I, I'm going to come back to you, uh, John Soltz, and thank you for coming and welcome to the show, both of you. But I do want to talk to you for a second, Liz, because, you know, what Felicia Hilton had to say was, you know— it moved all of us. That's why we were like, we need to add this. We need to, to show her because that is how most of the women I know feel at every age. That how are women being robbed of our agency and our right to our own bodies 
against their objections of all of, of, of most of us. This is what you wrote. You wrote this. You tweeted this. I've been dealing with some health issues for months, and one of the solutions is a hysterectomy. And while part of me had hoped one day I'd rather have another, I'd have another kid, there is no way I'm getting pregnant in Iowa and not be able to access necessary care. I'm just going to let you talk about your state and what they're doing to women. Yeah, I mean, Felicia Hilton was, of course, correct. You know, in the legislative session that we just had, Iowa uh, limited SNAP benefit. So that means that 10,000 people are going to be kicked off of food assistance. So the same state that is, like she said, literally taking food out of the mouth of you know, children is now trying to say they're trying to protect children by limiting, you know, a woman's right to be able to access necessary health care, you know, and this is not, you know, this isn't just like, well, you know, if you listen to the Senate debate and the House debate, which unfortunately I have, it's just Man after man getting up there and saying, well, if you don't want to have a baby, don't have sex. So, sir, tell that to yourself, right? Like, fine, let's start forcing vasectomies. I mean, I think people in the state have just had enough of having, you know, people shove religious laws down our throats. And it's not democratic. Like, this is not a democracy. When a state senator gets up and says he's going to legislate the Bible verses, you know, to try to tell me, you know, when I can get health care. And I am a mother. I love being a mother. All the women I know who've had abortions are mothers. Statistically, they are mothers. And what's happening is self-righteous people, like Felicia Hilton said, I mean, just roll that clip over and over again, ad infinitum, because it is, um, it's so frustrating. And I've just been fielding texts from friends and people at the Capitol. And, um, you know, I wasn't able to go to the Capitol today because I have a sick child and uh, my child's birth I could have that child because when I was sexually assaulted in college, I was given emergency contraception and that allowed me to have the life that I have today and the daughter I have today. So it's so ironic that I'm taking care of a child who I had because of reproductive choice while watching state senators slut shame American Iowan women and and take away our rights. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, women in Iowa should consult Lisa Strata. And maybe if the uh, admonition is don't have sex, well, then maybe the men of Iowa should find out what that's going to be like uh, from now on. Um, and I will note that there are only 29 women out of 100 members of the state house. 13 of them are Republicans, 16 are Democrats. There are 15 women out of 50 members in the state Senate. Uh, and before I, I bring in John, I just want to ask you, Liz, I don't understand how these men don't fear getting voted out. Is there just not a fear that women will actually vote to throw them out of office or are they just so confident? And is your governor so confident that they will get reelected because people are more concerned with Republicans winning than having even freedom over their own bodies? Well, I think two things are happening. And one is that, you know, I grew up 
uh, homeschooled in a pro-life family. My parents took us marching out into anti-Roe protests. And um, none of my sisters, none of my four sisters are uh, anti-abortion. We're all very pro-abortion now. We've all changed. But what I'm trying to say is that this isn't just about being popular. You know, I do think you have to understand that when Republicans pass these laws, they believe in them. They believe that this is a God-given crusade. So I don't think it's really about you know, being electable. It's about sure. that they really are creating, you know, a religious state. And also yeah. in Iowa, you have to understand that like, we, you know, our, our state institutions have been steadily decimated. Like the freedom of the press has been decimated at the state house right now. Like press, like journalists aren't being given access to the press gallery. Um, this, the governor's being sued for not answering, um, you know, freedom of information requests. Like this is a, a legislative body and a Republican party that has systematically decimated our freedoms at every level. Yeah. So that in these messages aren't able to get out. So I, I, I also don't think they have fear because they are so in control right now that um, that, it, you know, that they really think that they can do whatever they want. Yeah, well, they shouldn't talk about the Bible because uh, Jesus also said to take care of the poor, the aged, uh, and the immigrant. And I don't think they've ever read those red bits of the Bible, those red letters in the Bible at all, because they don't give a damn about the poor, the immigrant, the aged, uh, the widow, the orphan, none of that. Um, let me bring you in here, John, because that brings us to Tommy Tuberville, who is obviously a religious fanatic. Um, he is now essentially holding the Marine Corps hostage in order to force the United States military to essentially confine women in Iowa, if and when this passes, to Iowa. That the their government, their boss, they don't work for the state, they work for the military, cannot help them get abortion care. Your thoughts on his hostage taking? Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy process. This has been going on for about three months. The, the military actually doesn't, doesn't pay for people's abortions. This is sort of like a, you know, a far-right talking point. Essentially, yeah. what, what the military is doing since Dobbs is just saying, hey, if if, if you're on leave, you can take leave and we'll pay for your travel. So you can go, go do that. I mean, it's, it's sort of important. So when units deploy quickly, um, obviously if a woman is pregnant, she becomes non-deployable, but she has a choice on, you know, what she wants to do to help that unit. Um, and, and obviously, uh, choice is a big part of military readiness in the sense that it allows people to serve and go overseas, uh, and, and gives them that opportunity. So you have to be medically ready. And what this does is it continues to allow units you know, that could be preparing to deploy to have the women in those units, which is about 20% of the force, you know, yeah. control over their own, their own healthcare. I think so th that's really the issue. And I think for him, you know, there is no off ramp. He said, he'll, it'll be a vote. He said, you know, the NDA putting in the NDA would be a possibility, but, but ultimately he's fundraising off of it and there's just not enough pressure from Republicans. And so he's holding hostage you know, nominations of every general and admiral out there. So there, there's a lot of people out there like, you know, the commandant of the Marine Corps who leaves and yet there's no one ready to fill his spot. And so when you look at being, you know, essentially um, NATO's posture with, with Russia right now, or you look at China's posture with Taiwan, you know, they're kind of watching us. And this is an absolute game show uh, where someone is holding American national security hostage over these nominations uh, in these core positions over a radical social agenda. And yeah. it's, it's ironic if you look at Republican talking points, which is, you know, um, very ironic. 
I mean, by the way, I will note that women, as you said, are 17.3 percent of the active duty military force. Um, that's 230,741 women. 31 um, percent are racial minorities, African-American, Alaska Native and others. Um, and 17.7 percent are Latino. Well, how does this impact recruiting, recruitment, John? Because if you just look at that map, you don't get to choose where you're deployed. Let's just put up a map of where military bases are. They're all over the country. A lot of them are in red states. Do you get to choose where you're deployed? And do you think that this, uh, if this prohibition remains, people will want to join the military? Why would, why would any woman uh, want to join if essentially you're trapped wherever you are because you can't get leave and you can't get help paying to go out of state? Right. So if you, if you sign up for active duty, you, you go where the army sends you or the Marines or Navy or Air Force. You certainly don't control where you get deployed. And there is no federal abortion ban. Right. So this is uh, we're starting to deal with federal Not laws yet. versus state laws. Yeah. Uh, Right. And so right now there's a recruiting crisis in the military. It's really not necessarily uh, just a political problem. McDonald's is having a hard time recruiting people, but you know, all, almost all the services except the Marine Corps missed recruiting last year. And so when 20% of your force essentially is women, you know, you don't want to disincentivize people to sign up at a time when we're having a hard time recruiting. And so this has been a political football that's debated. And that's the irony of the Republican social agenda affecting military readiness, not just like strategically where we're missing you know, potentially a chairman of the Joint Chiefs because his nomination is being held up. Um, but also from a standpoint that maybe less women are going to want to sign up and serve because they would, they're from California. Maybe they're going to end up serving in a state like Texas or Florida and, and you know, laws are different in those states. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's real ramifications to what this can mean over many, many years in the military. Yeah, or Iowa soon. Um, and by the way, I will note that Tommy Tuberville can't explain uh, whether or not he thinks white nationalists should serve, but he doesn't think women ought to control their own bodies when they serve our country and take that incredible risk that only minority of Americans take. Uh, go figure. Uh, we will be keeping track of what happens. Uh, John Soltz and Liz Lenz, please keep uh, keep in touch with us and, and let's see how this goes. We're going to keep watching this vote tonight. Thank you very much. Up next on the readout, a grand jury that will decide Trump's fate is sworn in in Georgia as Trump makes a hail Mary attempt to postpone his classified documents trial indefinitely. Forever. <laughs> the readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. It has been nearly five months since a Georgia special grand jury recommended indictments for more than a dozen people in the Fulton County District Attorney's investigation into 2020 election interference by Donald Trump and his allies. Today, two grand juries were selected, one of which could be asked to decide whether to follow through on those recommendations and potentially hand Trump his third indictment. 
Back in January, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis said her decision on whether to bring charges was imminent. She later hinted in May that a decision could be on the way before the end of summer, likely early next month. This, as Trump and his legal team are trying to put the brakes on another legal matter, the special counsel's criminal trial involving Trump's mishandling of classified documents. They are asking the previously Trump-friendly Florida judge to postpone the trial indefinitely, presumably until after the 2024 presidential election. In a 12-page court filing, they argued that Trump would be too busy, both by running for president and attending to his many other legal matters, to prepare for this one. They claim that any attempt to start the trial this year would be unrealistic and result in a miscarriage of justice. Joining me now is Mary McCord, former acting assistant attorney general for national security. She is co-host of the MSNBC podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump. And Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg, I do want to start with you because I think the thing that people first need to understand is why there are two new grand juries when there was already a special grand jury. Can you please explain? <laughs> yeah, it's such an important question because the special grand jury essentially had investigatory powers. It could subpoena witnesses. It could compel witnesses to testify who might not have otherwise been able to testify or wanted or, or, or uh, agreed to testify. But it doesn't have the power to indict. It could recommend indictments to Fonnie Willis, uh, the district attorney of Fulton County. Ultimately, it's going to be up to this normal, this regular grand jury that just convened today. We're not sure which of these two panels that convened is going to be the, the panel that actually takes up the Donald Trump case, but we're pretty confident that one of them is going to take up that case. And let me ask you this. Is this a, uh, a case of special treatment for Donald Trump? Like if Donald Trump's name was Joe Schlobotnik, would he be getting a second special, a second grand jury to look at what the first grand jury did? I think it's a it's, it's an indicator of how complex this case is, because although we've seen indictments in Miami and Washington and New York, uh, sorry, Miami and New York involving Donald Trump, this case is going to go, it looks like, beyond Donald Trump to his inner circle, uh, to potentially members of the fake GOP elected slate here in Georgia, the elector slate. Uh, and so this is, the, you know, they're, they're talking about uh, RICO anti-conspiracy charges here. So there's a lot of moving parts here. It's not as uh, cut and dry, maybe, as some of the other investigations that are going on. And so, Mary, let me bring you in on that, because, it, it, you know, as a, as a former prosecutor, does this make sense to you, that one grand jury would look at the case itself and go through the evidence, and then a whole separate set of eyes decides to indict? Does that make sense to you? Well, it's just the process in Georgia, and it's what they have to do, because that special grand jury under Georgia authorities just did not have the power to yeah. return an indictment. So under Georgia law, for a felony, you have to have a grand jury make sure. the decision to indict based on probable cause. So they kind of had to uh, impanel a new grand jury. Now, I do think it's important to realize that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the evidence that the special grand jury heard has to be represented in front of this okay. grand jury. Uh, there may be some evidence that the prosecutor thinks wasn't important enough to represent. Yeah. And others they can do by reading the transcripts of the witnesses. They don't necessarily okay. have to call every witness to come back right. in and, and testify again. So it could go much, much quicker. Mm -hmm. The grand jury might say, oh, that person we actually want to come testify in person because sure. we want to like be able to assess their credibility. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's, it can be a very, uh, a much more streamlined process. Yeah. And let, let's just get to the, because the idea, Donald Trump's team is looking for special treatment. Let's just be clear. Oh, yeah. This is, you know, this is what they said in their filing. They said, 
President Trump is, I mean, he's former President Trump, is running for President of the United States and is currently the likely Republican nominee. The undertaking requires a tremendous amount of time and energy and that effort would continue into the election on November 5th, uh, 2024. The schedule makes trial preparation uh, and the defendants challenging, blah, blah, blah. Now, we do know that the judge, in, Judge Cannon, right. who's presiding over his federal trial on the documents, um, has said in the past the following, based on the nature of the action, the principles of equity require the court to consider the specific context at issue, and that consideration is inherently impacted by the position formally held by the plaintiff. In layman's terms, he deserves special treatment. Is it at all possible, can you foresee her pushing the trial back? Because that would essentially mean it could be him being, it could be happening while he's present. He could just dismiss it. Well, I think this is one of the real tests, right? So when when the parties argue this, and it might happen next Tuesday, and it might be some other separate argument, she will have to make findings under the Speedy Trial Act yeah. that the interests of justice really out uh, outweigh yeah. um, the the rights of the defendant and the public to a speedy trial in order to grant a continuance. It doesn't necessarily mean she's going to grant it indefinitely the way that they have proposed. She could take an intermediate step. She could actually say, let's just get started with motions and and see how that goes and then revisit this question. But she has to make findings under the law if she's going to grant a continuance. I think that it's I think the the request for more time beyond December 11th is not necessarily unreasonable in a right. case like this where we have classified documents. And we have to go through special procedures yeah. under SEPA. I think some of the rationales yeah. in that motion are ridiculous. And uh, the motion has the political overtones and is said multiple times. This is a political prosecution by a political opponent. And yeah. of course, that's just that's just false. Yeah. Uh, this is not brought by. President Biden, this right. brought by the Department of Justice. And, and a grand jury. Um, let, let's play really quickly uh, what Chris Christie had to say, because it's interesting, and I kind of want to play this out with you. Here's Chris Christie thinking, saying what he thinks Trump is thinking. I've known him for 22 years. When I was doing these cases in New Jersey, and I would put political figures in jail, he would say to me, I could never do that. I could never go to jail. And I'm telling you, no matter what he says, no matter how he's bragging and, and going on and on about him not being afraid, he goes to bed every night thinking about the sound of that jail cell door climbing, closing behind him. Greg, I'm going to ask you to expose some of your reporting. If there is any, is there any talk around Fonnie Willis's world, in her world, that they would ever be open to some sort of blanket uh, immunity deal that could involve both the state and federal charges? Has that been discussed? Have you heard anything like that? Not that we've heard at all. There's been talk, of course, and, there, and we've, we've reported on immunity deals for some members of the fake elector slate, for instance, issues like that. But it's gone from the ground level up rather than right. from Donald Trump down, because everything we've heard, all signs of pointing to a potential indictment of the former president, uh, all the members of the special grand jury couldn't name names. They've said uh, on background and on the record that we're looking at big names involved, names that we wow. all know. Yeah. And, and, and last, uh, I'll give you the final word on this, Mary. I just want to put up the, the trials that Donald Trump is facing. I mean, he's got the asset valuation civil trial in October. He's got the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial. We now know the Justice Department's not standing in the way of a federal case there. We have the New York City hush money trial. He's got a lot of cases he coming. Does. Could you envision, Rachel Maddow put this in my head and everything she puts in my head stays in my head. Could you see some sort of blanket immunity deal that crosses into the state cases and covers the federal cases, something Donald Trump could theoretically negotiate to stay out of prison. Do you mean a plea deal? A plea deal, where he pleads guilty to a bunch of stuff. So um, I think that in an ordinary case that not involving somebody like Donald Trump, that is exactly the kind of discussions that would be going on. Sure. But 
I don't know. I don't see any world in which Donald Trump agrees to plead guilty to anything because he doesn't ever admit that he ever does anything wrong in any context. And so I wouldn't if I were on any of these prosecution teams, I would not be spending a lot of time and resources working that angle. If they approached me, I'd be very open to talking about it if it was serious. But uh, to spend a lot of time thinking about what what might be fair and reasonable and reaching out, um, I just don't see it. You know who needs to be asking for a deal? Walty Nada. Yes. What he is does. he thinking? He uh, does. Mary I McCord agree. and Greg Bluestein. And by the way, Joe Slobotnik would never do anything wrong. He's a really good guy. Uh, thank you both very much. And still ahead, uh, Republican attempts to dig up dirt on Joe Biden backfire again with the indictment of their so-called whistleblower for allegedly acting as an agent of the Chinese government. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You cannot make this stuff up. We'll be right back. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Hi everyone, it's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. For years, Senate Republicans have been investigating Hunter Biden, his father, his dog probably, and his business dealings, and teased bombshell after bombshell. But all they've delivered is one dud after another, year after year after year after year. A Homeland Security Committee report contained no evidence that President Biden improperly manipulated American policy toward Ukraine or committed any other misdeed. In fact, investigators heard witness testimony that rebutted those charges. The committee chairman, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, told The New York Times that his report had no massive smoking gun, saying that there was a misconception on the part of the public that there would be. But as the old adage goes, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, which is what South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace is doing on Fox. We are going to work as hard as we can and deliver as much evidence as we can to the American people so that they can decide whether or not Joe Biden should be in prison or any member of his family as well. Uh huh. Republicans are so desperate to get Hunter Biden and by extension his father that they don't even care how they do it. If you've got an allegation against the Biden family, then come on board because you too can be their next whistleblower. Any anti-Biden allegation is inherently credible and welcome. Case in point, back in May, Republicans found a whistleblower named Gal Luft who claimed that he could prove that President Biden and his son accepted bribes from China. But when asked to provide proof, Republicans claimed he'd vanished. Hold on a second, Congressman. Did you just say that the whistleblower or the informant is now missing? Well, we, we're hopeful that we can find the informant. Now remember, these informants are, are kind of in the, the spy business. 
Yeah, yeah, that's because their star witness was an alleged criminal on the run. Yesterday, the Department of Justice unsealed charges against him. Here's the best part. The guy accusing Hunter and Joe Biden of having nefarious ties to China with zero evidence is actually accused of having nefarious ties with China. According to the indictment, Luft is being charged with arms trafficking, sanctions violations, and acting as an unregistered agent for China. I thought Republicans didn't like people doing business with communist China because it is the threat of our lifetime. I guess they'll overlook it for this guy. Naturally, Republicans are now accusing the FBI and the DOJ of a years-long plot to retaliate against their whistleblower. No one should be surprised here. I don't trust the DOJ or the FBI. They are trying to silence our witnesses. He's on the run. Uh, he's an important witness. He needs to be granted immunity to be able to testify and tell his story. Isn't it funny that they found Safe Harbor with a Fox host who helped launder lies about the election on a network recently forced to settle for nearly $800 million for those lies? Look, I get it. It's been a rough few weeks for Republicans. And yesterday was a really bad day for their investigations. David Weiss, the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for Delaware, who got Hunter Biden to plead guilty to a pair of tax-related misdemeanors, is publicly denying accusations that he was blocked from doing what he needed to do. An accusation made by another alleged IRS whistleblower whose claims are, surprise, surprise, falling apart under scrutiny. Meanwhile, Trump, who is exceptionally unhinged these days, called Weiss, whom he appointed a coward for giving Hunter Biden a traffic ticket instead of a death sentence. I have no words. Which might please Republican James Comer, who accuses us of not taking his investigation seriously. More on that after the break. He's very credible, and the people on MSNBC who made fun of me when I said uh, we had an informant that was missing, they should feel like fools right now. Uh, And this is their worst nightmare because, uh, again, this is a credible witness that the FBI flew all the way to Brussels to interview and sent several agents to interview. Oh, honey. (laughs) To be clear, his credible witness, credible witness, was never missing. He was on the lam from the feds because they want him in custody for his alleged role in a scheme dating back to 2016, which involved pushing pro-China propaganda to a Trump administration official and allegedly brokering arms deals with Chinese businesses to sell their stuff in places like the United Arab Emirates, Kenya and Libya. But yes, Representative Comer, please tell me more about how your witnesses and investigations are totally credible and legitimate. Joining me now, Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and a former spokesperson for the House Oversight Committee, and possibly someone who has laughed at Representative Comer with me. It's possible that we at MSNBC have laughed at him just a wee little bit. Have you? Do you want to admit to it now? Okay, you you got me, Joe. I've been doing a lot of laughing. (laughs) I did it. What is happening? I mean, you know, I I remember working at GOP Oversight uh, during the Daryl Issa days. When we actually had real witnesses who weren't wanted federal criminals. I mean, if that's going to be the benchmark now for what credible, legitimate oversight should be, uh, I mean, this is James Comer. Okay. You might be watching this and and this might hurt your feelings. You're a clown, sir. You are a weapons grade idiot. The way that you are chairing this committee is an embarrassment to you. I don't know what the Republican leadership is thinking, letting you keep getting away with these charades, these illegitimate witch hunts that taxpayers are paying for. It doesn't get much worse than going on national television saying, this guy is a credible witness, and then he turns out being like a Chinese spy. I'm pretty sure I remember, Joy. An arms dealer. Uh, I'm sorry. Kevin McCarthy. Arms dealer. 
Arms dealer. Arms oh, dealer. I, I don't. I, I don't want to negate this guy's very impressive resume and credentials. Um, <laughs> I remember Kevin McCarthy leading a witch hunt, kicking off Eric Swalwell from a congressional committee uh, for, for, for for something involving what he called a Chinese spy. So does that mean that James Comer now should be kicked off the oversight committee for giving a platform and and making a witness? A Chinese spy, like that's who's driving these investigations, Joy. Foreign nationals. What in the, the world is happening? The thing that's so wild is that you know, if they wanted to investigate a family that's got some like I don't know corrupt vibes, you had a Chinese spy. This is where the Chinese spy was at Mar-a-Lago while he had all our documents and all our national security. <laughs> she was walking on through there and then ended up getting arrested. You've got uh, Donald Trump profiting off of a hotel in D.C. where all the Saudis and all the people were paying him and the Republicans were paying him off. You've got Live Golf now paying him literally at Doral. And you've got Jared getting $2 billion from the Saudis. What's not to love about that? I mean, the corruption is so clear, but they don't care. No, they don't. And they would rather go out there and actually just embarrass themselves and double down on failure like this than do the oversight that's like really low-hanging fruit here, Joy. This, you don't have to search very hard to find corruption and mismanagement and fraud and crimes. Uh, it's literally right in front of us every single day. And yet Comer and Jordan and the lawyers at Insurrectionist LLC continue to go down this road where all they do is humiliate themselves. Uh, and again, I keep wondering, at some point, there are, I, I know for a fact there are Republicans right now in the House who are going, somebody step in and stop this because we are all looking like a bunch of morons. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe George Santos when he's not, I don't know, fighting to get out of the back of the bus because apparently he's a civil rights hero on the side. I mean, the thing is, is this about them being angry that Trump went down, is going down for corruption or is being exposed? And is it just that they need a both sides? Is that why they hate the Bidens? Biden's the most middle of the road politician in history. There's nothing about him that reeks of sort of Trumpy. You know what I mean? I don't. Why do they hate this guy so much? I mean, it's interesting because they've had now six months of, of having the oversight gavels, and they have not yet produced a single shred of actual documentary evidence implicating President Joe Biden. Why? Because it doesn't exist. Uh, this isn't 2016. This isn't Hillary's emails, Benghazi, and all of that noise. This is Joe Biden, who all due respect is like the most vanilla person walking in the face of the planet when it comes he to even this needs type vanilla of pottery. ice cream. Even his ice cream vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's like for for i've always said that the worst the mistake that republicans are making is trying to make joe biden this great villain because on one yes. hand they say he's too old he's uh too fragile he's not mentally there but we're also supposed to believe he's a criminal mastermind <laughs> moving the the pieces internationally with spies in china and ukraine and like which one is it guys <laughs> He can't be both. He can't be both. So where does this end? Because is Comer, to your point, he's not going to be kicked off the committee. He's still going to have oversight. Where does this go from here? Will they investigate, I don't know, Hunter Biden failing to get Tucker Carlson's son into Georgetown after being asked? I mean, that might be ripe for investigation. I mean, God forbid one of the Bidens gets, I guess, a speeding ticket in the next three months. There'll be a hearing about that, I hope they I'm sure. don't. I mean, we that, have, that, Fox will be talking about it all. It'll be their A block every night, Kurt. Don't sentence it's us like to this that. Is all they got. I said it out loud. If this might happen now, this is my fault if it does. That was your outside voice. That was your outside voice. Kurt Bardella, outside (laughs) voice. Thank you. See you later. Up next, author and uh, actor Hill Harper enters Michigan's 2024 Senate race in what promises to be one of the most closely watched Democratic primaries of the season. And he joins me next. Stay with us. 
probably familiar with Hill Harper for his work as an actor. He's best known for his roles on television, nine seasons on CSI New York, and he currently appears on The Good Doctor. Harper is also an author, activist, small business owner, cancer survivor, and now a Democratic candidate for Michigan's open 2024 Senate race. Harper joined the field of Democrats on Monday with an announcement video. It's Harper's first time as a candidate, but he's no stranger to the world of politics. He was a top surrogate for his law school classmate, Barack Obama, and in 2012 was named to the president's cancer panel. Hill Harper joins me now. Now, Mr. Harper, thank you so much for being here. Let's talk about this. Um, you are, are, have joined a race for the United States Senate. Uh, what's your platform? Why should people vote for the actor and author Hill Harper instead of, I don't know, a regular politician? Well, you know, I, I think I've been traveling across the state for the last four months, uh, talking to people all over Michigan and learning from them about what they want and where they feel they're not represented. And they feel like they want new leadership. They want a, a fresh voice and, and leadership that, that leads with empathy, that leads with, with, with support, but most importantly, putting people first, powered by the people. You know, Joy, today was, uh, our, our launch day to travel across the state. We launched in Detroit. Uh, to a few thousand people, I believe. And, and then we're in Pontiac, Michigan, a place that suffered plant closures and people trying to suppress unions. And now I'm coming to you from Grand Rapids, where we have a big overflow crowd waiting uh, uh, for us to speak there. And it's just been a it's been an amazing day because it just reinforces how much people really want true democracy. They don't want Washington, D.C. picking who the next senator is. They want to do that here in Michigan. And when you say that, uh, that sort of makes me think that you might be talking about the the basically the party, Debbie Stabenow, Senator Denny Sta- Debbie Stabenow, who's retiring, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and others really have kind of paved the way for Elise Slotkin, Elisa Slotkin to run. She is a, mem- a sitting Republican, a sitting Democratic Congresswoman. Um, she touts her sort of bipartisan credentials. She is a native Michigander. I will note that you are not a native Michigander. Um, they pre- they have made it pretty clear that's who they want to succeed uh, Re- Senator Stabenow. Why do you think they're wrong? You know, I don't, I don't I'm not saying that they are wrong. I'm saying that the people have to choose, you know, and at the end of the day, when I moved to Michigan seven years ago to raise my son here and uh, to, to I moved here because of the people, the same people that showed up today all over the state. You know, I moved here because the greatest people in the world live right here in this state and the richness of diversity and all that it represents. And so many have told me that the fact that for the first time in 57 years, Michigan does not have a black democratic representative that that doesn't reflect the diversity of this amazing state. And, you know, let's be clear, Senator Stabenow's legacy is an amazing, and that's, it's fantastic. And that's why we need some bold leadership to take her place. I mean, the triple blue leadership in Lansing right now has done a great job getting rid of right to work and many other things that it's done, but still we're 41st in teacher pay. We're 49th in growth. We're losing a congressional district every 10 years. I want other folks to choose Michigan like I chose Michigan seven years ago. And that you you do make a great point that the only black member of Michigan's congressional delegation did retire. Brenda Lawrence retired in 2022. There is one African-American. His name is John James, but he's a Republican. Uh, African-Americans are 14 percent of Michigan's electorate. Do you think that is something that's going to help you? You said you were in Detroit today. Are black voters uh, excited to know that they could actually have statewide African-American leadership? Is that for you a motivator? Every voting cohort is excited to know that someone's going to represent their voice. I believe that. And remember, Michigan's largest voting bloc 
doesn't feel represented. And that largest voting block are people who don't vote. We need to bring people back into the process and have them reclaim it. And that's why it's a grassroots campaign. And that's why we need folks help. You know, hillharbor.com is where folks can learn more. Hillharbor.com is where they can give because when you're building a grassroots campaign, it's going to have to be low dollar donors. You know, Beto did an amazing job with this building that. Obviously, my friend Barack Obama did a fantastic job with that in 2007 and going into 2008. And we hope to replicate that type of grassroots support. You're obviously very intelligent. You went to school with Barack Obama. You went to law school. You went to some really good schools. I joke with him and say, I'm the, actually the one with the Kennedy School degree, you know, the, the, the degree in government. You know, see, like, now look, I, oh, no, okay, we're going to start that whole fight. But I mean, do, do you think that the, you know, people are a little wary of celebrity candidates? Let's be honest, after one Donald Trump, who obviously was not a super smart guy. But I mean, does that play in at all? Do you think your name or recognition helps or in a way does it hurt you? In 20 seconds, no, if you could. <laughs> No, no, no. Sure. It's it's about getting to know people. It's, you know, I do a lot of work, for instance, in the prison system and people say, man, you've never been to prison. How do you relate to the brothers? It's just about <laughs> folks can look in your eye and know if you're sincere or not. I want to work for working families. I want to work for single moms. I'm a single dad. I'm running because of my son, Pierce. I'm running because we need yeah. leadership that gets us into the future. And, yeah. uh, and and I think people can feel that. Well, I appreciate you being here. Hill Harper, candidate for U.S. Center for Michigan. Thank you. And now I got to go to the next show. Uh, That is tonight's readout. Get the latest updates on this year's high stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com slash win.